Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Have you found the book of Hosea? Anybody? Anybody not found? You still turning? Don't give up. Don't give up. Turn there. Um, guys, I'm going to make a hard turn. It is, it is hard in challenging days like this. We don't have to pretend to be all happy. But here's the thing. I think that what I'm going to bring to us is, though, though it's, a, it's a heavy word to start, it's a great word at the end. And I think it's going to bring joy. Sometimes you cry, uh, but your, your tears, like Pastor Keith just read this morning, your tears are actually seeds for harvest. Uh, and they will be harvested, harvested with shouts of deliverance. And so God's doing that in, the, in this season. Let the tears go. Cry if you have to. Uh, release them. And, uh, and I really believe that God is going to uh, create a harvest there. So Hosea... Starting with chapter one, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Hosea and the book. But first of all, Hosea, the man who got inspired to write this book, he was a prophet in his day to Israel. And he was a trumpet. He was a revivalist. He was, uh, his name actually comes from the same verb that we get, where we get the name Joshua and Jesus or Yeshua. Uh, Hosea, it means the Lord saves. And so God is using Hosea in a really special ways is to show how he saves his people. Um, even when his people don't like him, showing, uh, don't like God. God is using Hosea to say, you know what? I'm bigger than that. I still love to save my people. This is, the, this is the trumpet cry of Hosea's life. He's a revivalist. He's saying, come back to God. Uh, Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 is a revival passage that God has used throughout history to stir up revival in the church or reawakening to God or coming back to God where, where Hosea cries out to the covenant people of God, break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord. This was the message that Hosea brought to the people. Any, in other words, any place where your heart has gotten so hard that you don't feel a thing for the Father, any place that your heart has gotten so hard that seeds that the Holy Spirit tries to plant, they just bounce off the hardness of your heart. Any, wherever your heart has gotten so hard that you've forgotten how to cry over the things that break the heart of God, God's calling us now, break it up. Let your heart be broken again before God. It is time to seek him like never before. This is the message that Hosea brought to the people of Israel in his day. He's prophesying, though, in a time of peace and prosperity that had not been seen since the times of Solomon. So I don't know if you know anything about the history of Israel and Judah back in the day, but Solomon, wisest man to ever walk the face of the planet next to Jesus... And then, and he is, God's using all of his wisdom to create this, this incredible kingdom, peace. Nobody wanted to mess with Solomon. And then what happens though, is the kingdom is divided and uh, there are kings set up that don't have a heart after God and there is mass chaos. But here's a, here's a window of time where Hosea is prophesying in a time of peace. But what happens in that time of peace is that it did not, the time of peace, the time of prosperity, the time of plenty, did not point people's hearts to Jesus and to break up their unplowed ground, to break up their fallow ground in their hearts. But it, it was a time where people said, hey, everything's great. There's no enemies at the gate. We have food in our houses. We have finances in the bank. We're all, we're all free. 
It is what they decided to do with their freedom was to seek other lovers, other idols, other gods. And they put up uh, poles that they would worship on hills. And they brought little teeny idols made of wood covered in gold into their homes. They started doing things that were completely anti the heart of God. They started worshiping the small gods of the nations that surrounded them and they had a fun time doing it. And this is the context that Hosea is speaking to people in and God, broken by his, broken by his, his people's um, tendency to go after other loves, says, Hosea, it's time to open your mouth. It's time to use your voice like a trumpet to call my people back to me. God doesn't just say, I'm gonna wipe my hands of these people. God is, is a redeeming God that is constantly running after his bride. And this is the story of how God does that. This is a story how God pursues his covenant people. And God, this starts out, uh, look at Hosea chapter one, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. That, that really hit home to everybody. That really, that really resonated. Oh, good. Uh, but here's the next part, verse two. Um, God tells Hosea to do the unthinkable. God tells Hosea to do something probably incredibly difficult, something sure to mess with Hosea's dreams, something that, that veered Hosea off of the kind of future that he thought he was gonna have, something that was actually going to break Hosea's heart. And God tells Hosea, I'm going to mess with your future, but it's for a purpose. I'm gonna use you as a visible illustration for what Israel is doing to me, and I'm gonna show Israel what they're doing to me by asking you to marry a woman that you know will break your heart, Hosea. I'm asking you to marry a woman that you know will cheat on you. I'm asking you to marry a woman that you know will be unfaithful to you. And I'm going to read this out of the NIV because it gets way too spicy in the ESV. It says this, Jose, I'm not going to say the things from the stage that the ESV translates it, but you'll get the picture. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, God says to Hosea, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For, here's why, here's why. Here's why I'm asking you to do this, Jose. I'm not, I'm not just trying to be a downer. I'm not just trying to mess with your future plans and dreams. Here's why I'm doing this. For like an adulterous wife, this land or these people are guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. That's why. They're not getting it. I give them times of uh, plenty. I give them times of prosperity. Instead of them crying out in the proper response with, thank you, God, we didn't deserve this. This just makes us see your goodness and the goodness of your heart, and we just want you. Instead, they're taking God's blessings, and they're offering God's blessings to false, small lovers and idols like the nations do. And God says, Hosea, you're going to marry a woman that's going to break your heart. You're going to marry a woman that's going to be unfaithful to you, and I'm gonna use this as a visible illustration of what Israel, my covenant people, are doing to me. And so, Hosea went and he married a lady named Gomer who fit the description. And they had three children. Now, if, if, you, if you read down this, God has different names for each of these, these children, and it looks like maybe the first child that Hosea and Gomer have, maybe that one was uh, that one uh, did, in fact, belong to Hosea, but we don't really know. We really do. It does look like, though, the next two children weren't even his. 
because Gomer went and did what God and Hosea knew that she would do. And she said, she said, Hosea, I know you came after me. I know that you love me. I know that you've entered into covenant relationship with me, but that wasn't enough and you're not enough. And what I really want to do is I want to explore my future. I want to explore my life and I want to explore other loves with my life. And she went out and left Hosea probably multiple times. It doesn't get super specific, but leading a lifestyle here where it's, it's, uh, it's unfaithful and then come back and unfaithful and come back, so much so that we don't even know whose kids these kids are. And this was Hosea's existence. Can you imagine being a prophet in this day asked to do that? Like, and this is, this is after years. This is three kids later. Years. God, what are you doing to me? Like, you told me to do this. Where are you? Where are you? Why, why would you do this to me? Well, the, the answer on why God would do this to Hosea is, is, uh, is this is what Hosea's experience is a very small representation to how God's covenant people treat him on the regular. So God is giving an illustration of why his heart is breaking. And God's heart has not changed. Remember Jesus looking on the on this, the, this city and the people in the city of Jerusalem that he knew would murder him and crucify him and, and trade him in for Barabbas? And here Je- Jesus is crying over these people. Why? He wants them. And here God is using Hosea to say, just like you want your wife, she's gonna go out on you time and time and time again and mess with the covenant that, I, that you two have together. And this is how my people are treating me. It's an illustration on how God's heart is breaking for his people. He's in covenant with his people, but they're leaving him. And here's where it gets really hot. Not hot. Um, and uh, here, here's where it gets really heavy. Heavy. Hot and heavy. It's that the people of Israel are leaving God for small loves that cannot compare to him. And that's heavy on the heart of God. Have you, have you ever uh, had, I don't know, let's keep going. Um, this, is, this is what God's relationship, and I, I want you to think about times where people that are near and dear to you, people that you loved with all of your heart that you would die for and with, have chosen others who are just a flame. And this, my friends, is a small taste of what God feels, but God is not angry to the point of abandonment. God keeps coming after his people. And this is what God's relationship with his covenant people is like. It's like being in a marriage with a spouse who pursues love with smaller lovers. Those outside of covenant. They don't even have a commitment. They're just in love with each other for a moment. This is what being in a marriage with a, with a spouse is like who, who pursues relationship outside of the covenant, who, who pursues a, a future outside of the covenant. If you look to Hosea chapter two, you'll see that, that Gomer was looking for provision outside of the covenant. Well, my other lovers give me flax and oil. My other lovers give me this and this. Like, like I go back to Hosea when I don't have these things anymore. I'm using him. 
I'm using him, but I don't love him as seen and where and whom I'm entrusting my heart to regularly. It's like being in a marriage with a spouse. You, you want to have a future with him or her, but she is constantly rejecting your heart over and over and over and over and over. It's like there's one spouse who longs to do life together. There's one spouse who wants to fast and pray about what type of a future would God have for us, baby? How might, we, how might God use us together as we, as we push close and we don't let anything come between us? And there's one spouse who wants that, wants to do life together, wants to dream for the future, wants to, wants to see something beautiful happen in our family and create a family full of, of fiery-eyed children that have torches for God's heart, like, uh, have torches in their hearts for the presence of God and the glory of God. And that a whole family that is bringing damage to darkness but glory to Jesus. There's one, there's one spouse who wants that with all of his heart. Whose love is so fierce that it cannot contain others. It's exclusive just for you. My love is fierce just for you. My love for you is cannot be rivaled by anybody else. And there's one who is constantly reaching for nearness and intimacy with his beloved, but to no avail. It never works. He can't seem to win his bride's heart. He can't seem to win his bride's affection. He can't seem to win his bride's attention. She only comes around when she needs something. And Hosea's heart is broken. And God's like, Hosea, hello, my son. This is what Israel is doing to me. See, it's the other spouse who has dreams, but those dreams are constantly outside the covenant. Those dreams are constantly outside of the marriage. There's, it's the other spouse who has longings, but those longings or the fulfillment of those longings are sought outside of the spouse, outside of the covenant, outside of the promises, outside of the holy moment where the two in front of all their friends and before God who joins them together spiritually and in every other way, they're looking for their future outside of that. This is, there's, there's one spouse who rejects every kindness, who rejects every uh, smile, who rejects every small token of love, who uses every uh, provision received from the husband to actually not thank the husband, but to serve her other lovers. How twisted is this? Twisted. And God is saying, Hosea, this is not about you, this is about me. And no matter what the husband does, he faces rejection. No matter how, in fact, as Gomer is out with her other lovers, he's supplying her needs with all of her, with you know, flax and oil and, and, and food. And she's taking it and blessing her other lovers. No matter what the husband does, he faces rejection. No matter how deeply the husband loves, there is no response. No matter how the bride is adored, she leaves for others. And God is saying, this is how my heart breaks for my people. <laughs> this is how, listen guys, listen. We treat sin so lightly. But God says, this is how my heart breaks for my people. 
I want us to see a few uh, truths in this passage and in this story. And the first truth I want us to see is, uh, is I want us to see what sin is biblically. Because I think that the sin that has been preached for so long, I know the, uh, often, not always, but often the, the, the sin message that I heard as a child was full of shame and was trying to, uh, trying to get me to feel so bad that I would try to do something good for Jesus. I was trying to beat me up with my badness. And that is not the message of sin biblically. The, the, the way that sin was described to me was, was, was like this. It's, it's, you're missing the mark, Nathan. You're missing the mark. How could you miss? Jesus has done so much for you. Well, look at him hanging on that cross. And you can't shoot a bullseye. And I, it was like, so the, the picture in my mind as a kid and even you know, today was like, a, it's like Robin Hood. It's like a medieval archery contest where everybody is standing in front of a target and everybody is doing their best, but you're shooting against Robin Hood and how do you beat the guy? It's like, it's like I'm shooting, but I totally missed the target and someone says, you missed the target. Well, let me do better. I'm gonna, whew, oh, I hit the target, but it's not even close to the bullseye. You gotta do better than that. Jesus did so much for you. And so you're feeling so bad that you're trembling while you're shaking and, and it's going into the woods and it's going all around. And then finally, it actually maybe makes it on the target a little bit and you hope that somebody says, hey, good job, you're getting better. But they're like, still not a bullseye. Yeah. And you just, I, don't, I can't shoot a bullseye against Robin Hood. I can't hit the mark, I'm not an archer. If, and, and, and here's a deeper question, why does God want me to be such a good archer so much? What does that do for him? What, is God really the kind of God that he wants to save me so he can watch me perform for him? And the kind of, the kind of gospel that we've, we've heard and we've received is God has done so much for you, you better put on a good show for Jesus, and if you don't, you better try harder to your dying day or Jesus won't like you. Dude, I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to make us feel worse, but a lot of us have, have grown up on this, and I want to give you a blessing here from the heart of the Father. If that's the gospel that you receive, that is not good news. That is not even the gospel at all. That is demonic in nature and origin. Do you know that Jesus hit the mark for us, and he takes the bullseye, and he gives it to us <laughs> Look at my boy. This is, he, he's good. Look at my daughter. Look what she did. This, this is the gospel. What we, what, listen, let, let, me, let me tell you this. Biblically, biblically, sin is not underperforming. Do you hear this? Sin is not underperforming. Biblically, sin is underpreferring. You hear this? And this Biblically speaking, thank you. Uh, sin is not underperforming. Sin is underpreferring. So the, the reason we talk so much about the heart and the reason I've been so intrigued with, with uh, uh, saints of old who have gone before us like the Moravians is because Jesus first starts with the heart. He says, above all else, guard your heart. He says, he says here's the greatest commandment, not shoot a bullseye with your life by trying hard and effort and striving. He says, but to love the Lord your God with all that you've got, all your heart in other words. It's why King David was celebrated. He's a sinner, but he's got a heart after his father. 
This is what God looks at. He's looking at the heart. And he's not looking for us to perform. He's, he's looking for our hearts to listen. I'm going to be crazy. He's looking for our hearts to actually want him more than anything else. This, this, the gospel captures the heart. It doesn't just help you become more moral. And when the gospel that we preached is five steps, seven steps, 12 steps, 50 bajillion steps to, to help you be a better person. But that will only set you up to see this law. The law exists to show you that you can't be a good enough person on your own. You need a perfect, righteous one to, to perfectly fulfill it, then give it Amen. as a gift. So what sin is biblically is not underperforming, it's underpreferring. Now this is all throughout the scripture, but let me show you a few of my favorites. Psalm chapter 84, verse 10, where the psalmist says, listen to this, a day in your courts, in other words, being close to you in your, in your presence, a day in your courts, one day, 24 hours in your presence, listen, is better than, see, whoa, 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 whoa hold on. Are we talking preference? Where's the serving? Where's the serving? A day in your courts is better than, it outweighs, my heart wants one day in your courts as better than a thousand elsewhere. Jamaica? Yes. Aruba? Absolutely. Indonesia? Yes. <laughs> a, a day in your courts is better than a thousand not in quarantine. Yes. Yes. One day with Jesus makes everything else pale in comparison. And then the psalmist goes on to say, I would rather. Do you see how it's preference, not performance? In my heart, what I want more, what I rather. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. In other words, take the most menial position close to your presence. Then, like, be a king in tents. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And the implication is whatever I want to do in those tents of wickedness, it's all up for grabs. But I'm saying right now that I'd rather take the most humble, menial position in God's house, close to his presence, than all the tents in the world and all the things you can do in all those tents to the end of my days. I would rather be a doorkeeper close to God. Why would a psalmist ever say this? Do you know how much fun you can have in those tents for all your days? And that is, that is the question. Would you rather have fun in tents or, or would you rather have a life that burns for one person? That's why marriage in covenant is, is the most beautiful expression and the, the best visible illustration we have of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his covenant people. Two people together forever, duking it out and battling it out, but I'm trusting my heart to you no matter how hurt I feel. We're going after each other. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. Or how about this one, who is, who has, this passage has brought my soul back from the ledge, just cashing it all in, saying, I'm tired of this. So many times. Philippians chapter three, <laughs> Woo, verse seven to nine. But whatever gain I had, Paul says, anything I had to gain out of life, 
from my gifts or my skills or whatever, uh, whatever genius I had to create money or to be rich or, or powerful or popular or famous. Anything that I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I prefer Christ over gain. If I have to pick between the two, I'm picking Jesus. I'd rather be poor with Jesus than rich without him. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and this is my favorite part, and I count them as rubbish. All of that stuff that was fake, self-focused righteousness that was promising me a better existence but was not promising me Jesus, I count it all as trash compared to the treasure that I have found in Jesus. And that's why at Providence we say that Jesus is our treasure. And we want nothing other than him. And if he's not our treasure, we're not the church. We're not teaching you how to live a better life and so your quarantines go smoother and so you get better jobs and so you can tithe more. That is not it. We want a, a fiery, lovesick bride. I want to stand before Jesus on my last day and say, Jesus, I poured out my life like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of my faith on people so they would love you as, as a pure bride before you with all their heart, recklessly, relentlessly. Let me tell you this, that the gospel is not first and foremost that you escape hell. Like we've gotten sin wrong and we've gotten the gospel wrong. The gospel is not first and foremost that you escape hell. If, if the point was to escape hell, then heaven would be the treasure. And so the gospel that we have presented uses Jesus to get you what you really want, and that's heaven, where you have comfort and convenience and ease and family reunions for all eternity. Well, where's Jesus? Well, he was the bridge that got me here. Where is he now? Who cares? I'm here. I used him. He was, he was my tool. He was my means, he was my way. But he's the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel is not first and foremost that you escape hell. The gospel is first and foremost, at its core, is that you gain Jesus. You gain Jesus. If you're okay in heaven without Jesus, you don't actually know the man. And you need to get on your knees and, and, and pray heaven down fast. But many of us received a gospel that promises that we would escape hell, but never gives us a better treasure named Jesus. And what that, what that is, is, is this effort-based religion that doesn't have the prize right. It's, it's not that you use Jesus to get your heart's desire. It's that you receive Jesus as your heart's desire. This is what faith is. Jesus, you are the way and you are the truth, and you are my life, my everything, my focus, my center, my treasure, my everything, your first, only in my heart. Many of us receive this gospel where you use Jesus, Jesus, and what a great savior Jesus is, that he would get us to heaven so we can see others. Listen, that's frosting, seeing others. But the, the gospel is I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. And I just want him. 
First Peter chapter three, verse 18 says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now let's stop there just for a moment. Christ suffered once for sins. That's for your unbiblical preferences where you wanted small loves instead of him. And Jesus suffered for that and paid for that. The righteous for the unrighteous. That means that you don't offer righteousness to Jesus. You receive his righteousness. He is the righteous one. We're the unrighteous ones. And we get his righteousness. Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Here's why. That he might bring us to God. He is the goal. He is the goal. It doesn't say for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he, must, that he might bring us a better life. It doesn't say Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might help us be more moral individuals. Those things are frosting. Those things are side issues. They happen as a manifestation of a heart that has received Jesus as their everything. So, so let me tell you this, that the gospel is not first and foremost that you escape hell, it's that you gain Jesus. It's that sin is not underperforming, it's under preferring. But let me tell you this, that repentance is not being sorry that you did not hit the target as much as it, as it is that you dishonored the treasure of the universe by, by preferring something small to he who is the greatest. That's what repentance is. God, you were offering me you. And I told, I gave you the stiff arm and I went over here. God, the affections of my heart are so jacked up. Can't even see how good you are. God, would you change my, would you raise me to life so I can spend all of eternity making much of you who are the greatest? I want you to have all of me, not places in me and anything else that goes well, it's just because of you, you get all of the glory. Repentance is turning from the lie that there is something better than God. And this is, this is how God is using Hosea. Hosea is saying, hey, Gomer, I, I'm marrying you and you've got a name like that, baby. Come on, like you've got to know that my love is true, Gomer. Come on, girl, let's do life together. Like, I'm not excited about it either, but we're gonna make this work and I'm gonna set all of my affections and all my love on you just for who you are. And Gomer, kind of, like, who, who's, the, who's the one operating in the Father's heart here? Well, it's not Gomer. It's Hosea. But who's the one getting his heart ripped out in every single place and position he can? It's, it's Hosea. And Gomer is going out and going out and using what Hosea is giving and then glorifying her small lovers. And Hosea is like, this, this isn't right. This isn't right. They're not better. You keep coming back to me. If they're better than me, why do you keep coming back? And someone like that is just is blind and out of their mind. And this is, this is why when the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and, and he, he drops theology on Jesus. Jesus, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom? Oh man, Jesus, I've been doing all those things since I was a kid. He's trying to offer his righteousness to Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, okay. Rich young ruler, I see what you're doing here. See, you don't have a theology problem, you have a treasure problem. And you love what you have more than you love me. So how about this? Go sell all you have and follow me. It's me or your stuff, Holmes. Me or, and the rich young ruler goes away sad because he wanted heaven, but didn't want Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this, 
And, and, and the preface to his book, The Weight of Glory, which you should all read, and it, it, even if it takes you five months, because it's, it's, it's intense. But C.S. Lewis says that our main problem is that we prefer making mud pies in the slums instead of enjoying a holiday at the sea. That we would prefer being, being poor and impoverished in the slums, making mud pies that you can't even eat, and if you eat, they'll kill you. We would rather do that than go on vacation with Jesus. All expenses paid on the Mediterranean. Watching mermaids and dolphins alike just frolic in the presence of the Lamb. No, I, I prefer to make a mud pie that will kill me eventually in the slums where I'm impoverished. And God is like, turn your heart on. God, listen to this, guys. Here's the heart of the Father. It's that God loves to demonstrate, though. Like when, when he comes, when the, even though this stuff breaks his heart, it doesn't chase us from it. And what God wants to do is he wants to wow us with his heart again. And he wants to unlock and uncork and um, diffuse lies. And he wants the scales to fall off. And he wants us to actually see him for who he actually is. This is called his unstoppable love. He loves to demonstrate it. He, he's, he's beckoning us to come into it. He's saying, I, I want you to taste my love and see that it's good. I, I want you to, to be bathed in my love and see that it's best. I, 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 want, to, I want you to see that I love you. My love for you is bigger than all of the small preferences that you've ever had towards me. And I don't want to hold those things over your head. I want you. So before time began, God designed it this way that the cross would stand as the center of history, showing us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners like Gomer off with smaller lovers. Christ died for us. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, unstoppable love coming after you and me. And let me say it this way, that when we're in a distant land, God pursues us in that place. And I love Hosea chapter three. Let me read it to you in the ESV. Let's get, let's get crazy. Let's, get, let's spice things up. And the Lord said to me, that's Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. So, so here's, here's Gomer, they're still married. She's just in the arms of another. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Cakes of that, that, it all makes sense until you read about raisins, does it not? These were, these were, um, these were false demonic uh, evil practices of the day. And so what Hosea does is he, he goes to the auction where Gomer is standing on the auction block, devalued and used by many. Like, who would want, like the, the going rate for, for someone like Gomer uh, back, back here is, is 30 shekels. But you see that Hosea buys for 15. She, this is half price, guys. Nobody wants her but Hosea. Well, doesn't the crowd say when Hosea shows up to bid on his wife? I can't imagine, this isn't in the text, but I gotta imagine that there's people in the crowd. We know crowds well, right? Crowds love to share their wisdom. Hosea, listen, biblically, you can walk away from this woman, start a new life. 
The kids aren't even yours. You don't, you don't have to worry about keeping your family together, man. She made her bed, let her sleep in it. Does that sound like religious preaching to you? She's going to reap what she's going to sow. And Hosea's like, what's the bidding starting at? One shekel? Okay, one. <laughs> Keep your money. I'll give you five. Okay, anybody else? Five? Okay, six? Anybody else give me six? Hosea. Get in your right mind. It's, it's time to start a new thing. It's time to start a new way of life. Just, just leave her alone. Ten? Twelve? Going once, going twelve, twice at fifteen. And Hosea says, and take all this stuff too. I'm not going to cheapen her. I, I just, I just, he just, there's the price. And take all this barley and take other stuff. And then he grabs his wife. And we hear this as demanding as what he says to his wife. But it's the, it's the heart of a father. It's, and I, you, you must dwell as mine for many days. So I want you to hear this. I want you to dwell. I want you to live as mine. As mine. I want you being mine to be enough for you. You're go, there's going to be temptations, but I want you to know that I've bought you twice. I've redeemed you. You are mine. And I want you to live in that reality. I want you to live in that identity. I want you to live in that belonging. I want us to start a new life like this together where we're, we're in this together and I've got you. And should you run away, I'm coming after you. But let's live together as one. Me is yours and you is mine. This is how you start a new life. It's the heart of the Father it says this, I don't care what she's done. I'm paying for what she's done. I'm forgiving what she's done. I love my bride. I want her back. And this is the song that the Father is singing over many of us here today. And he's trying to call us out. He's trying to woo us out. He's, kind of, he, he's trying to sing above the noise. And he's trying to call us out of the stupor that we're in, that we've, we actually believe that if I perform good enough for God and, hey, God, look, I actually trained well enough. I went to Bible school and look, I, look how close to the target I am. God's never been looking for that. I think he would say, well, good job. You're becoming a good archer, but I want you to be a son. You're becoming a good archer, but I want you to be a daughter. Hey, you're, you're, you know, you're performing really well, but I don't care uh, for your performance. I just want you to be mine. And this is what was being declared from the cross. God shows his love for, for us. He demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were cheapened by the world and being sold, Christ bought us at the cross. And what happens to the bride as a result of her redemption, because this is what redemption is, buying her back, buying her back. This is what Jesus did for us. He bought us back. We had given our hearts to smaller lovers and, and he didn't hold that against us. He didn't hold our sins against us. He bought us back and she, she gets a new cry. I love this. The bride here who says, come dwell, gets a new cry. And the cry that's heard now from the bride is actually in the book of Revelation. Did you know there was such a thing? Has it scared you away from it? Revelation chapter 22, verse 7 says this, the spirit and the bride, the spirit, Holy Spirit, and the bride. What is their cry together? The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The, God filled the church with himself, Holy Spirit, and is burning in the church with himself, Holy Spirit. And what he's doing, what the, the cry that he's producing in his bride now is come. Uh, now is the bride crying, 
groom, Jesus, let's dwell together. Let's consummate this thing. Let's, let's just be done with everything that keeps us from one another. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the cry of the church now. It's no longer a cry for other lovers. It's no longer a, a cry for other things. It's no longer a cry for the small, but the great. The spirit and the bride say, come. And then it goes on to say, let, the, let one who is thirsty come. Turn on the affections of your heart. This isn't talking about water. This is talking about love. This is talking about desire. This is talk about, talking about want. All of the longings of your heart are now able to be satisfied. And the bride and the groom and Jesus, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to shoot well. You have to receive me and want to dwell with me and trust me to satisfy all of the complications of your, of your hellish preferences. I'll take care of all of that and you and I will live together. This, my friends, is the gospel that I've given my whole life to. And these are days like this, tell me if you agree like this, these are days where if I just had to shoot better, I would forfeit that in a second. If that's what God wanted out of me, it was just to shoot well, just to be like a, a joker that dances for him in his kingdom, I'd just be like, I'm out of this. I cannot give my whole life to that. I can't burn for that one. I, can't, there's, I, I don't want that. What, what I can give my whole life to is, is being lovesick for God and burning for him all of my days. And that's the kind of church that I really believe that God is building here. No matter how small we get, we're gonna burn. And no matter how big we get, we're gonna burn. Being small doesn't make us burn. You take a bunch of burning logs and you put them all together and that's a big fire. I, I, think, I think we need a big fire. I think we need to grow, not by trying to do church better than other churches. I think we need to grow because we're so aflame with this good news that we cannot keep our mouths shut and we, we constantly have our love on. So guys, let me just ask you this question now. I, I just looked at the time and I've gone way over. Okay, in five minutes, less than five minutes, we're supposed to pick up our kids, our little blessings, all right? But let me ask this in the last moment. Give me one more minute. Let me close your eyes, just bow your hearts. Let's hear, like, break up your fallow ground. Break up your unplowed ground. Let's ask and invite God to do that right now. God, any hard place that cannot receive this message, any hard place that does not want you, any place that we've been keeping secret from you, you know about it, but we, we've been holding on to it so well that we have not released it to you. It's like, like we've given you some places, but not the high places. The highest places, God, the, the places of our greatest affection and preference we've kept for us. God, today we want to destroy the small high places, and we want to give every single place peace of our heart to you, every dream, every desire, every longing, every direction, every inkling. God, we want it to be yours. We want you to tell us how to live. And so, Lord, I, I pray for people that have been striving and stressing and calling that faith and trying to offer you a righteousness that you never required or asked for. I just pray, God, that this would be a morning where people actually forsake their own righteousness and receive yours, Jesus, through faith. I just pray, God, that uh, and in living rooms, I pray that people get surprised by the Holy Spirit coming and wrecking them right now. I pray, God, that in this room, God, where I'm speaking, I pray that that those of us who thought we were saved, but we've never really treasured you, Jesus, we've never known you through faith like this. It's only been effort. God, I just pray that you begin to change our hearts right now. I pray. 
And I just pray that we would respond and you would turn our hearts on again. And that we would, we would be a church that is truly and utterly obsessed with Jesus. A Jesus church. You are everything, your treasure, your focus, your it supreme to us. So God, thank you that you haven't treated us as our sins deserve, but you've given us Jesus. You've given us Jesus. And God, we just, we just want to dwell with you and do life with you and not run off on you. So, so God, just pour your faithfulness down on us. This is just all on you, God. We, we just want to sit with you on your lap, close to your heart, and love relationship with you, God. And you're inviting us to that. And God, I just pray you, uh, you pour out hunger on us to be able to walk in that again, thirst for this. You invite us in. We say, come. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what you want to do with your bride. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.